What's up, guys? This is Patrick Madmore coming to you live with another episode of Madmore Stories podcast. Live and in the mix here from Santiago, Chile. That's right. If you've been following my blogs and catching up with some of my latest podcasts, you do remember that I moved over 8,000 miles away, leaving Silicon Valley about two months ago to relocate down here in Santiago, Chile. So, yeah, on the back of my last podcast last week, I talked a lot about this move to Chile and the resulting implications, a little bit how that had gone and how I was adjusting to life over here. Um, and so one of the things I thought would be really useful, because I get this question quite often from clients, and I know that a lot of people have questions around this, was to do a podcast on the topic of self-confidence. And, you know, it's one of these important things, because if you think about it, making a move like the one that I made, or making a move like some of you may have made moving to another city or to another country, this can be really nerve-wracking. It can really turn your life completely upside down. And sometimes these kind of adjustments, whether it's changes of scenery and city or country or change of career or you know change in your own personal situation these things can really rattle our self-confidence so one of the things that i was thinking about was to do a podcast around you know what is self-confidence where does it come from and more importantly what can you actually do to actually strengthen your own self-confidence and bolster yourself in those moments of self-doubt so as is always kind of like my philosophy and you guys know i'm always about stories uh, i'm going to start today's podcast with a story i'm going to tell you about somebody that I met over the summer who really inspired me and uh, is a really incredible person and also, of course, has a tremendous amount of self-confidence. And it's not every day that you, you know, you meet somebody as special as, as this person. You know, in my case, it's, it's not every day that you meet, you know, literally uh, an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, and it's certainly not every day that you get to actually touch and feel what an Olympic gold medal feels like and, and hear such an empowering story. So, you know, the story is basically uh, as follows, you know, over the, the course of the summer this year, uh, I was taking a coach training course at the Coach Training Institute, and um, I met April Holmes uh, in, in California uh, at this coach training seminar, which was a seven-week program where we were basically learning the fundamental skills of coaching. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, April immediately came across as somebody who was really calm, very self-confident, very smart, very warm, and, you know, just kind of exuded, you know, this kind of magnetism and, and, and kind of power and self-confidence that, you know, you don't see that very, very often. And you particularly, you don't even see it that often among, you know, some of the more successful entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley where, where we were living, right? So, um, one of the things that uh, happened over the course of that seven-week program was, you know, that Rachel... Uh, sorry, April uh, shared her story with us. And I think that's kind of like where I really started to understand where a lot of that self-confidence came from. And, you, you know, the, the reason for her self-confidence really was, you know, back in uh, 2001, uh, you know, April suffered a, a pretty horrific uh, train accident. Uh, you know, I think she was either getting on or, or getting off of a train and somehow managed to get her legs stuck uh, between the train and the tracks. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, there was no way to, I think, get her out of that situation without, you know, amputating her her leg, literally her left leg, literally from from the knee down. Uh, and it's the kind of, you know, injury and, and trauma that, um, you know, it would psychologically cripple most people. I mean, a lot of people have that kind of trauma, whether it's an accident or, or they were in war or something like that, you know, and, and it takes them years if they ever really ever get over it, whether it's kind of physically getting over it, 
uh, or psychologically getting over it. And, you know, not only did she kind of like bounce back from this injury, but she saw it really as a chance to kind of like reinvent herself um, and embrace this disability. And it really kind of like for her and I guess for a lot of people around her and people that she inspired really became kind of a symbol of what you can really do if you set yourself you know, what can be considered nearly impossible goals. Um, and it's kind of testament, you know, to what's possible when you really put your mind to it and, and you build this incredible amount of self-confidence that she has. So she set out, you know, to become uh, an athlete, to become a Paralympian and began to compete in track and field. And, you know, the amazing thing is if you look at her, her bio and her story online, um, you know, by 2002, she won the first place in the 100-meter dash at the uh, DSUSA's uh, International Challenge in Orlando, Florida. Two years after that, you know, she qualified for the Paralympic Games in Athens, Greece. And uh, not only qualified for the Olympics, but set not one but two world records for the 100-meter and 200-meter dash. Uh, finally, you know, a number of years later in 2008, she qualified for the next Olympic Games. If you remember those in 2008, those uh, Olympic Games and Paralympic Games were actually held in, in Beijing, China. And it was there that she achieved her lifelong dream of winning a gold medal, um, which was you know, obviously an amazing feat, you know, given where she had come from before. And I remember, you know, in our coach training class, she actually brought this gold medal uh, to the class and we were able to kind of like pass it around and actually touch it. And it's pretty inspiring to not only to witness that story, but actually kind of like hold that, you know, that small piece of gold. Um, it's actually rather large and heavy, kind of think about it in your hands and, and kind of be a testament to that story and what she's achieved. Um, you know, and so I think for me, kind of like, Seeing that and having this person not only there to tell her story, but in our class for, you know, the seven weeks or so that we were there, um, talking to her in person, practicing coaching techniques with her in person, I was pretty amazed by her story. And it really speaks a lot to her determination, her hard work, her faith in herself, and of course, the incredible amount of self-confidence, you know, that she had to develop over the years, not only to live with her disability, but also to thrive as, as you know, um, an Olympic athlete, right? So, so that's just kind of just a pretty amazing story. So I started thinking to myself, well, what is self-confidence? I mean, where, where does this thing come from? And what can we possibly do to boost self-confidence, right? If you look at April's story, it's remarkable, right? But what can be really done to boost self-confidence and where exactly does it come from? So I started doing a lot of research, you know, as you normally would in things like this. And, you know, uh, one of the articles I came across was an article by Dr. Neil Burton, you know, who's a psychologist. And um, in his article, Hide and Seek, he talks about self-confidence as coming from the Latin word fidere, which literally means to trust, right? So if you think about it logically, well, self-confidence really is about our ability to trust ourselves. Um, and, you know, a large part of that ability to trust ourselves really is a function of, you know, what we've done in the past and how many times we've done a particular task that we're trying to do, right? So self-confidence from this perspective is really uh, a function of what is known to us, right? It's a known quantity. It's something that we've done in the past and we either have the ability to do it or we don't have the ability to do it, right? Or we have the ability to do it with a certain level of competence. And if you remember in my previous post, when I talked about my move to Chile last week, you know, how I moved 8,000 miles from Silicon Valley here, part of the reason why this move was maybe not as hard for me as it might be for some people was because, you know, in my lifetime, I've been able to move 
11 different countries, uh, you know, and I think if you add in all the different states that I lived in in the US and the different cities in Europe, I've probably moved something like 32 times, right? So personally speaking, when you've done something that often and you acquire some degree of expertise uh, in something that's known to you, you build a fair amount of self-confidence, right? Because it's an ability that you've exercised in the past a number of times. And so the more you do it, the more confident you become, right? So for me, moving to Chile was not maybe as kind of mind-blowing as difficult as it might be for you know, somebody who's never left, you know, some city in Kansas, right, or, or, or the interior or the inside of London, right? I felt pretty confident in my ability to move to a new place, adjust to my surroundings, find a place, make friends, uh, build my career, do things, um, you know, and adapt locally to my new environment. So obviously, the more familiar we are with something, and the more we've successfully done this thing before, the more confident we are in our ability to do it again, right? So as Mia Hamm would say, success breeds success, right? But self-confidence isn't just about our experience in actually doing the things that we have done in the past and we plan to do in the future. The other thing I discovered through my research is, you know, it's also a function of our belief in our ability to do these things, right? So one thing is, do I have the ability, do I have the experience, have I done this in the past? But the other part is, what do I believe in terms of my ability to do this now or to do this in the future? Uh, and this helps explain, you know, potentially why people that we know who may potentially were prolific in high school or grad school or whatever, you know, and had a meteoric rise in their careers, then all of a sudden hit a plateau and they become like head of their department and they peak. Right. They just don't go any further. And, and we're left stumped wondering, well, this person was doing so well. How come they never went further than they did? Um, and oftentimes what you find is it's not that they couldn't go any further. It's that they reached a point where they de developed a system of beliefs where maybe they believed that, you know, they couldn't go any further. Maybe that person, that friend of yours from grad school who became, you know, head of the finance department, literally didn't believe they could ever become a CEO or a general manager. And so as that belief became reinforced, self-reinforcing over time, they couldn't make the switch, right? They, they couldn't advance forward. And, you know, they developed a, a limiting belief. As Guy author, as, as uh, author of The Big Leap, Guy Hendricks would call it, uh, you know, this, this limiting belief became so hard-coded that that simply became their reality. So, you know, I'll bet, you know, any of you used to listening to this podcast probably know somebody like that, right? We all do. In some cases, maybe maybe it's us. Maybe we have a series of, you know, limiting beliefs that we can't do something. Um, you know, I, I'll never be a good tennis player or I, I suck at sports or I'm a left brain person. You know, I don't know how to deal with people issues, right? A lot of times we have these self-limiting beliefs which stop us from progressing forward. So from that perspective, our ability to kind of shape and mold and change our own beliefs is just as important, in some cases even more so, than the actual skills or abilities that we have that determine whether we succeed at doing something or we don't. Uh, other things that, that obviously influence our self-confidence, there's a number of other factors, as you can imagine, right? We've all thought about this and we've all had experiences that kind of reinforce this. Um, other factors that influence our self-confidence, education is a big one. Obviously, the more, the higher level of education you have, which boosts your knowledge and tests you um, and potentially gives us an advantage in the workplace, you know, the, the, the higher the level of self-confidence that we have. Some educational cultures, um, you know, actually have 
higher levels of self-confidence demonstrated scientifically as others. You know, there were some studies that were run between people following the U.S. educational system and the French educational system. And for some reason, they found that people generally in the French educational system were less self-confident. And that's a product of the way this, the French educational system works, right? It's much more top-down. Top it's much more constrained. It's to some degree a little bit maybe more author, authoritarian, um, whereas, you know, the U.S. liberal arts education is a little bit more f- free-flowing. It's a little bit more laid back, right? So, you know, education and the culture of the educational system, uh, that influences our level of self-confidence. The support that we have and the peers that we have obviously influences our self-confidence, right? When our friends and family are supportive, when our colleagues, you know, praise us at work, that boosts our confidence. Obviously, the reverse is also true, right? If you're in a toxic work environment where people don't value your work or they don't value your role in the organization and you continuously feel beaten down, that's going to have an influence on your self-confidence. And I talk about that in one of my other posts where I have a post called, you know, jumping ship. You know, when is a good time to to consider changing companies or roles? And I talk about that in, in the context of that post, right? If you have a toxic work environment, it continuously deteriorates your self-confidence. At some point, you should leave. Family and upbringing is also a big one. And that came across loud and clear in the research that I read as well. You know, our parents and our siblings can be a huge source of confidence for us. And the extent, obviously, which they provide support, you know, love, continuous positive reinforcement when things don't go our way, not just when we're successful, but, you know, they continuously support us and help us through times that are challenging. That can be pretty critical. Um, Our environment and the culture in which we live, right, whether that's our country or our city or our town or our workplace, as I talked about earlier, that can massively impact our self-confidence, right? And I was talking about that when I was talking about support and peers. When I worked at Google, for example, uh, in marketing on the play team, you know, one of the reasons I ended up leaving was I felt that, you know, potentially that that role was starting to impact my self-confidence. You know, even though we'd achieved some amazing things in Google Play and we'd really scaled that business tremendously, you know, it was really a culture around, um, product management and engineering, right? Google Play was really around driving the product. And, you know, as as a business that is, let's be honest, a quasi-monopoly, you know, if you're on an Android phone in most parts of the world, you don't exactly have a huge range of choices when it comes to downloading apps. Um, you know, they didn't really have to make much of an effort to compete with other companies to, to get downloads, to get traffic as a retail store, right? And so as a marketer, the marketing team and myself sometimes felt a little bit, you know, um, beaten down by that. We sometimes felt that our work wasn't really valued. And, you know, there were cases where product managers in, in, in meetings would be quite open about the little impact that they thought marketing brought to their particular products in certain situations. That's not a good place to be. And obviously, when, you're, when your role isn't really valued, when your team isn't really valued and, and you're doing everything you can, you know, that can have an impact on your self-confidence, right? If that becomes semi-permanent, then at some point you want to be thinking about, well, you know, is this really the kind of environment that I want to work in? And of course, you know, last but not least in terms of what impacts us, and again, this is by no means a, you know, an exhaustive list, but, you know, the the other thing that came across that was very interesting in the research, um, there's a book called The Confidence Code uh, written by um, Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman, and they talk about how our DNA impacts our self-confidence. And this is really, really interesting. I mean, specifically, I'm not going to get into, you know, the, the hardcore neuroscience behind this, but... There are three uh, genes, um, you know, that we have as humans, which which potentially can impact our self-confidence. One is called OXTR, and OXTR controls the delivery of oxytocin, um, and, uh, you know, a variant of this gene can produce low self-confidence. 
Another one called COMT. Uh, COMT regulates dopamine levels, right? And, and dopamine, for those of you who, who don't know, is a neurotransmitter that essentially helps transmit impulses from one neuron to the next, which is how kind of information and feelings um, get communicated from one neuron to the next. They get communicated through pathways which connect these different neurons, right? So obviously, um, any kind of any kind of uh, you know genetic issue around that gene can potentially reduce the amount of dopamine levels, which potentially impacts our self confidence. And the last gene is a gene called SLCA64. Uh, that's that's uh, really naturally rolls off the tongue. That's a very easy one to remember. And this one's uh, associated with our serotonin levels, which kind of is another chemical in the brain, which is associated with happiness. And obviously, the the more serotonin we have, the happier we feel, and the less uh, serotonin we have, the, the the less happy we feel, right? So, in the, in their book, you know, they, one of the interesting quotes that they have there, uh, the authors they say, you know, basically when dopamine, which gets us moving, is commingled with serotonin, which induces calm thought, and oxytocin, which generates warm and positive attitudes towards others, confidence uh, can be much more easy to take hold, right? So when you have a mix of those three chemicals and when you have the right genetic balance of the genes that control those chemicals, then it obviously will have an impact on your self-confidence. So um, as I dug in deeper, you know, one of the things that I started asking myself was, okay, this, this all makes a ton of sense. I'm starting to understand how this all works and how everything's all connected. But more importantly for you guys out there, for my listeners and, and for us as humans, like what can we actually do to train our brains to be more self-confident? Like, is there anything that we can do? Can we develop our self-confidence? Can we train ourselves? And the answer there is, is fundamentally yes, right? And there's an article in Forbes that talks about this, which is quite interesting. And, you know, obviously coming back to the discussion of neurons and, and those, the pathways, the synapses which connect the neurons, um, the more we actually do a certain thing, you know, remember when I was talking about abilities and skills, the more we actually do something, the more we actually train those muscles, the more these impulses that transmit this information um, and run from one neuron to another over these synapses, the more you do that, the more these synapses become hard-coded, right? So it's kind of like, you remember in school when our teachers used to tell us learning is repetition, right? Or practice makes perfect, you know, go home and do your ABCs. And the more you do that, the more you'll remember it. Well, there, that's, that's backed by neuroscience, right? So the more we have information flowing from these neurons, from one to the other over these pathways, the more those pathways actually get hard-coded with um, those impulses, and therefore the easier it becomes to become good at something or to at least have some degree of competence, which of course builds our self-confidence. So if you think about it practically, to use kind of an NBA um, analogy for those, those basketball fans out there, you know, probably one of the reasons why, you know, Steph Curry is, is, is rated one of the best, uh, you know, three-point shooters of all time is not only does he have an insane amount of talent, which he does, but he equally spends an insane amount of time practicing and shooting three-pointers, right? So if you're, if you're shooting whatever, a couple of hundred three-pointers every day, not to say that all of us could do this, if you have the talent and you practice like crazy and you're shooting all the time, all the time, every day, you are, of course, hard-coding those synapses, right? You are continuously transmitting those uh, impulses between your neurons, and therefore you're getting better and better, and the more you do it, the easier it gets, right? So 
this is applicable to anything basically you do, whether it's sports or business or medicine or, you know, uh, riding a bike or whatever. Right? So that's just interesting, an interesting fact. The other interesting fact about self-confidence from, you know, a neuroscientific point of view is that, you know, when you do something well, um, you get obviously this reinforced mechanism that you feel good. Right. So you notice whenever you do something that you are good at doing, you kind of feel good about doing it. Uh, and particularly when you do that around other people and you get feedback from them. So obviously it has this cumulative effect where the, the more the, the better we are at something, the more we do it, the more the more the better we feel with ourselves. Right. So the final thing here, which I found was really interesting. And, you know, we were talking about the effect on um, of other people who support us and how that builds our self-confidence. Well, kind of the reverse is also true is when we're good at something and we do something often that self-confidence also spills over to those around us. Right. Which is why you'll find that the more self-confident you become, the more people are drawn to you. Right. It's kind of like explains that analogy why. You know, men are attracted to, you know, very self-confident women or women are very attracted to very self-confident men. Right. It's kind of when you do something over and over and you get good at it and you have that self-confidence, it, it spills over to other people and people want to be around other people who are self-confident. And that explains why, you know, prolific sports uh, players, uh, soldiers, business people, you know, they can sometimes inspire their teams to do amazing things because those people want to be around them and they aspire to be similar and they they have that self-confidence, which is kind of like coming from that person. Um, so if anyone, you know, who's a basketball fan out there remembers the 2016 NBA Finals, you know, where Cleveland comes back from being down, you know, 3-1 against the Warriors. Um, a large part of that was also, was obviously attributed to LeBron James, right? And it was that amazing amount of self-confidence that was really spilling out over into his team and, and caused them to come back and not only tie the series, but eventually win, which is something that had never been done in the history of the NBA. So how do you actually build self-confidence? Well, you know, the great news is that there are a lot of different things that you can do to boost your self-confidence. And I just wanted to kind of shoot out a, a, a bunch of things here that I've tried in the past. These are also techniques that I've used with clients uh, and people who work with me. So hopefully these will be of use to you. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail, but I figured I'd give you a high level overview of these and hopefully some of these will be helpful to you. You know, one of course is practicing self-awareness, right? So the next time you don't really feel confident about something, I know this sounds extremely simplistic, but ask yourself why, right? Try and understand why you're not feeling that level of confidence. Try and better understand yourself and your mood swings. And you'll find that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you might have a story that you're telling yourself, but you can really kind of like question that. And you can really find a way to challenge the things that are holding you back and overcome them if you understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Uh, and one thing that helps a lot here is practicing mindfulness meditation, you know, I do this every morning, 20 minutes in the morning, you know, the more you are mindful of your own feelings and the more self-aware you are, the better you'll understand why you're feeling a certain way about something. And the more you can rationalize why you shouldn't be feeling that way, right? So practicing self-awareness, uh, step number one. Step number two, I love this one. As somebody who used to play role-playing games and is really into fantastic stories in this, I totally dig this. Hopefully you will too. Um, create a hero. You know, one of the things I learned in coaching uh, in that same class with April was the idea of creating a kind of a hero or captain, as we called it, that you can aspire to be like, right? And so the idea here is to create a real or imaginary person that you aspire to. 
flesh them out on paper, you know, to a large degree. Some people even use objects for some reason and give it a lot of kind of like personality and, and variables and think of how that, you know, hero would react given a similar situation to the one that you might be in that you're not finding yourself very confident in, right? And so when you try and model your own behavior on your hero, you, you'll be surprised to find yourself pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and actually changing your own beliefs and being able to overcome the negative stories that you're telling yourself, right? So when you create this hero and you think, okay, you know, my hero, for example, Tony Robbins for me is, is my hero, right? He's somebody that I, I really admire, who's done an amazing amount of positive things in the world, who's just incredible. And, you know, so when I have a challenge, sometimes I'll think to myself, okay, well, how would Tony Robbins handle this situation? Like, what would he do? What would he tell himself? Who would he talk to? How would he get help? And it helps me figure out uh, a better way out of my situation, right? It helps me kind of like emulate the behavior of somebody who I respect. That helps me figure out, you know, how to how to uh, confront that situation and potentially how to stop telling myself, you know, stories that aren't true. The reverse is also true, right? The other thing that can be helpful a lot is kind of identifying who your anti-hero is, right? So as we know from all epic stories, Every story has a great villain and has a hero, right? So in this case, in coaching, we call the villain the saboteur, right? And the saboteur is kind of like this little voice in your the back of your head that tells you, oh, no, you know, it's too early in the morning. Where are we going to get out of bed and do a workout? You know, it's not going to help anyway. It's just one workout. Or the voice in your head that tells you, oh, you know, you shouldn't go talk to that girl at the other side of the bar. You know, she's she doesn't like guys like you anyway, or she's with her friend. Or you make up some story that basically convinces you why you shouldn't do something, right? And we all have saboteurs in one element of our lives or other, whether it's health, whether it's our career, whether it's, um, you know, other things, we all have a saboteur that kind of kind of like can distract us and kind of like take us off course. So identifying that saboteur and then of course being self-aware to realize when that saboteur is actually the one making your decisions, that's the key to using your hero to overcome that saboteur, all right? Next is a favorite one of mine, which is really, really easy, which is keep an achievements list, right? Every one of us has a long list of things that we've achieved in our lives, right? I mean, we've all done incredible things. Maybe we don't see them as incredible, but we've all done amazing things. We, many of us have been to school. Many of us have higher education. Many of us have had challenging jobs. Many of us have had to have had challenging relationships or raised kids or done whatever, contributed to our community, our school, our church. All of us have achievements. And so one of the things that I always advise people to do is take a half hour, an hour, and just actually create a list of all the amazing things, all the achievements that you've had over the last couple of years, right? A year, two years, five years, whatever. And then you'll realize how much you've actually achieved. And, you know, when things get tough or you're not feeling that confident, take that list out and read through it. And you'll be surprised how it makes you feel. You know, I think many of us take it for granted all the things that we've achieved in our lives. And, you know, if you want bonus points, uh, here are bonus points for, for all you overachievers out there. Um, keep your old emails. Keep old emails, you know, from friends or colleagues who have sent you praise for something that you did well. Uh, you know, have a folder somewhere, you know, in your email client or online in your Gmail where you keep like all those special emails of people who said, hey, you know, thanks for the work that you did on this or that was a great presentation or this was really helpful or thanks for helping me, whatever. One practice I use, for example, is LinkedIn reviews. You know, I have a lot of LinkedIn reviews from former bosses, people who worked for me, peers, clients. Whenever I need a little boost or I'm feeling a little bit down, you know, I'll read through them and, and I'll feel a lot better afterwards, right? So an achievements list, it helps, it's easy, and it's always there. 
Forming habits around self-care. I really love this one. And, you know, those of you who have read my blog posts and followed my podcasts, you know that I like endlessly repeat this, right? Because as we talked about earlier, learning is repetition, right? I mean, the more we, we repeat stuff, the more hard-coded it becomes. So when you get into a routine, when you are eating right, you're sleeping right, you're exercising, it makes a world of, self, of, of difference to your self-confidence. And if you take this a step further and actually track how often you do these things, you'll start to generate all these little small wins that start driving your self-confidence even higher, right? So I've talked about the power of routines very often, but the basic premise here is take care of yourself. Make sure that you're sleeping right, you're eating right, you're doing exercise, track these things. Get into a routine where every single day you're doing these things or a couple of times a week you're doing these things. It really makes a big difference. Take it from me. I have morning and evening routines. Um, and they make a huge difference. Next is, uh, here's a small one, and this is this is a challenge for some folks, but do something crazy, right? I think, you know, back in June, I wrote a post about my first century ride, which is, you know, where I biked, you know, 100 miles, 10,000 feet. It sounded like something crazy, at least it was for me. I had never done something like that. You know, I took taken on that challenge, and I wrote a long post about this, so I'm not gonna rehash that here. But, you know, when you take on something crazy, whatever that might be, you know, that takes you out of your zone of comfort and you actually overcome it, um, you get a confidence boost from that. You know, if you're able to do something crazy each and every day, maybe something crazy that's small, um, you know, something that just takes you out of your routine and then that is different. Again, it helps boost your self-confidence. If you want bonus points on this one, again, always thinking about bonus points. You know, to the extent that you actually share your intent to do something crazy with others, when I decided to do this century ride, you know, I shared it on social media. I was, I had it on Instagram. I had it on Facebook. I would talk to all of my friends about it. And you know, when you share something like that that you intend to do, not only do you get people fired up to support you, but you know, you actually make yourself accountable to them. So doing something crazy always good. That always helps a lot. Next up is focus. Uh, I read a, a really interesting article by a fellow coach and uh, you know well-known public speaker and author called Margie Worrell. Uh, I believe Margie works in Australia. She wrote this great piece, uh, I think back in 2015 on Forbes, uh, talking about self-confidence and has a number of really excellent suggestions. So if you just kind of like Google that and take a look at her article, it's, it's really spot on. But, you know, the point here and, you know, Tony Robbins talks about this as well. He always says where focus goes, energy flows. Right. And, and that's absolutely true. Right. So to the extent that you need to get something done in your life, um, focusing and spending a lot of your time on it, that is not not only going to get you to a point where you're making progress, but it's also going to get you a point where you're building your self-confidence. Because one of the things that saps our self-confidence is when we're not doing the things that we know we should be doing, right? So you've had this pending on your to-do list for weeks now that you have to have a conversation with your son or daughter about something unpleasant and you don't do it and it, it sucks and you know that you should be doing it, right? So to the extent that we focus our energy on the things that really matter and we check off the right to-do list boxes as opposed to just having this massive list of to-dos, um, that's going to make a difference, right? And then when you actually visualize how you're going to feel and what your world is going to look like when you, you know, have achieved those things, then you're going to be in a whole different place, right? That's going to make a world of difference. 
Aside from focusing and being relentlessly focused on what you really need to achieve, the other exercise that you can work on which will really help you with your self-confidence is what I call starting small and repeating often. If you think about it, if you want to climb a mountain or you want to do anything impactful and difficult, generally most of us take small steps to get there. As you remember from the blog post that I wrote back in June when I did my century ride, I spent probably the better part of two years kind of like slowly working myself up to a point where I could do a 100 mile ride. It wasn't simply that I just went out and biked, you know, for eight hours, 100 miles and 10,000 feet. It started basically as baby steps every day, biking five, 10 miles and on weekends, progressively ramping it up to the point that I was doing 20, 30 or 40 miles. So basically what I'm saying here is take small steps and make sure that you repeat those steps often. Get into a routine like I did with cycling and do that as often as you can. Once the small stuff gets easy, you can then build up your self-confidence and dial it up a notch. Finally, and I've said this many times before in my other blog posts and podcasts, you need to embrace failure as learning. Most people get caught up by failure and see that as a reason to stop doing what they're doing. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of research that indicates that failure is the number one reason that kills self-confidence for people. This is basically a question of changing your perspective if you think about it. If your perspective is that anytime you fail, basically you should stop, then essentially you're not gonna make much progress. If your perspective instead is around embracing failure as an opportunity to learn, you'll almost relish the times that things don't work out because that's actually where you get all of the learnings and where you really are forced to think about why things particularly didn't work out. So when you look at failure as a chance to learn something and learning as a chance to grow, you'll actually see that every time things don't work out, that's actually where much of the growth is. Self-confidence is essentially something that all of us crave and all of us need. As a matter of fact, self-confidence is critical for us to belong to the societies and feel supported by those around us. It can have an, it can have an enormous impact on our lives and really help us achieve things that we thought maybe were just absolutely impossible. And when we're able to achieve things like that, those things can be nothing short of life-changing. So the challenge I have for you today is basically look at the list above. Think of all the things that I outlined as ways to boost your self-confidence and take one or two of those that you can start implementing this week or even today. You might actually be surprised at how you'll feel afterwards and how much you're able to achieve. Anyway, this is Mad Mork signing off from Mad Mork Stories. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I hope you found that those tips, the story of April Holmes uh, and some of the frameworks and discussions around self-confidence and how self-confidence essentially is tied back to all these different issues and the neuroscience behind it. I hope you found all those things helpful and I hope you found this a learning experience. As always, I hope you subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't had a chance, also check out my blog on www.madmork.com slash blog. And make sure as well that you sign up for my Facebook page, facebook.com slash madmorkstories to get more information, posts, and motivational imagery. I also have some live events, which I do every once in a while, where I go through some of these podcasts in more detail and take questions from folks. This is Mad Mork. 
live and direct from Santiago, Chile, signing off from Mad Mork Stories. I hope you enjoyed this podcast on self-confidence and join me next week for further discussions and more great learning. Have a good one. Take care.